right, everyone. Happy Friday and welcome back in to another edition of the Student Section Podcast where we talk all things college sports. Now, this is episode number 11. It is Friday, January 13th, 2023. And remember, we drop new episodes every single Friday. Subscribe to the show. We are now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all your favorite platforms. Download us, rate us, share us on all those platforms. And always remember, you can find us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb or online at thestudentsection.net. So with all that being said, you are listening to this on Friday the 13th. The national championship was on Monday, and it was an absolute stinker. So when I was kind of laying out the the script for this podcast, the groundwork for this podcast, I didn't want to spend too much time talking about the national championship, quite frankly, because it was the least entertaining game anyone has ever seen in a while, and the viewership reflects that. It was the least watched um, national title game in the college football playoff era. So I wanted to kind of gear this podcast more towards answering some questions that the result of the game might have created, looking forward to the future, seeing what this game means going forward in the grand scheme of things for college football, because I really don't want to bore you with the boring details of a 65-7 to blowout. So we'll talk about the game for a little bit, but then I want to move on to some more important topics. We've got a lot to talk about today, so without further ado, let's jump in to recapping the national championship game between Georgia and TCU. Let's do it. Two tight ends that side. Bennett takes the snap in the shotgun, throws for the corner. Brock Bowers one-on-one. Caught! Touchdown! He ate him alive! Falls down into the end zone. Six more for Georgia. What a game Brock Bowers is having. All right, well, that one was eventful to say the least. Your final score, Georgia 65, TCU 7, in case you're living under a rock and missed this one. So... As I said, I don't want to spend too much time talking about this game because, quite frankly, there's not a lot to talk about from the game itself. But I got to say one thing that was obvious from even the opening play where they got that full start penalty was that there really wasn't a point in the lead up to this game or during this game where I sat back and said that TCU had half a chance to win this game. I mean, you know, they didn't make those kind of mistakes against Michigan, so really... From the opening snap, it kind of already felt like the sky was falling for these guys. I mean, Georgia could do no wrong. They could do no right. And, I mean, the the final score reflects that. 65-7, the score. It was 17-7 after a quarter. You know, Georgia was up 10-0 just like that. And, really, TCU's only score in this one, you know, they got 75 yards on a broken play down the sideline. And, other than that, there was nothing going for this TCU team. I mean... You know, they were 2 of 11 on third down. They had 188 total yards. They only averaged 6.6 yards per attempt, well below their season average. Obviously, dug in with the two interceptions. There was nothing that went right for this team. Georgia had the ball for 37 minutes in this game. TCU just 23. I mean, the numbers speak for themselves, folks. And you can analyze those stats any way you want. You can try to turn them and twist them anyways. But I think the bottom line is it just felt like TCU's magic had finally run out. You know, there were no more advantageous officiating decisions. There were no more broken plays outside that one in the first quarter. They just ran into a brick wall And this time, they didn't have that Cinderella magic to bail them out. Now, that's nothing against TCU, obviously. A 13-2 record speaks for itself. 
playoff appearance. It was a heck of a season for these guys. But I'm sure this national championship is going to leave a bad taste in people's mouths for a while. But that's all I want to say about the game itself because, like I said, it was not entertaining whatsoever, and there's nothing we can really take away from it. So now let's talk about what the game means going forward. Alright, so let's dive into Georgia first, because like I said, not much to talk about on the field last night, but I think the moment of the year came at halftime, scores 38-7, and David Pollock declares Georgia the new kings of college football, with Nick Saban sitting about a foot to his right, which instantly created the moment of a lifetime. Everybody's laughing. Nick Saban is staring blankly into space. God knows what he's thinking, but all jokes aside, what Pollock is saying has some real merit. I mean, you know, Georgia's the first team now to win back-to-back titles since Alabama did so in 2011 and 2012. And if you look at the numbers over the past two seasons, Georgia's 29-1 with a pair of college football playoff national championships. They're 16-0 in SEC regular season play. They've got an SEC title. Alabama, just 24-4, no national titles, one SEC title, and they're 13-3 in regular season conference play. So lately, Georgia has dominated the landscape. Now, are they the new kings of college football? Have they taken control of the sport? Like Pollock is saying, that's a different story. But... I think what he's saying does have some serious merit to it, and it's a conversation that really needs to be had. And I think you're going to see for the first time in a really long time, heading into next year, the 2023 season, Georgia is going to be the team to beat. A team not named Alabama is going to be the preseason favorite to win the title. I mean, Georgia's losing a lot of talent, but you know they lost 15 guys to the draft last year, That didn't seem to affect them too much. This time around, they're losing their quarterback and a bunch of key pieces on defense. But Kirby's already demonstrated his ability to reload instead of rebuild. So I think Georgia is going to be the team to beat for a while. And I still think they're going to be the best team in the country heading into next season. So is there a new top dog? I'll let you be the judge of that. I'm not going to speculate on it. It seems a bit soon to do so. But it's a conversation that needs to be had nonetheless. So... Let's move on to the 25-year-old elephant in the room. Of course, we're talking about Stetson Bennett here. And this kid has just absolutely become the internet's punching bag as Georgia has been on this run of dominance. And I I don't think anyone really knows what's next for this kid or what to do with him. Because like I said, 25 years old is the NFL in his future is a nine to five in his future like many people on the internet are saying i don't know but i think it's really fun to look at his story and see just exactly where he's come from so let's get into that so you gotta start by prefacing that this kid was a lifelong georgia fan walked on to the bulldogs all the way back in 2017 and almost immediately transferred to jones county junior college in Mississippi, where he played one season at the JUCO level, really honed his skills, and then transferred back to Georgia in 2018, and he backed up four different quarterbacks in his time there, patiently waiting for his moment, and 
His moment finally came in 2021 after, you know, Jamie Newman, they thought he was the guy. He opted out of the season before. Then JT Daniels came along. They thought he was the guy. He went down with that injury. So Stetson Bennett became a starter in 2021. And there was a lot of protest surrounding him getting this job. I mean, the second JT Daniels, it was real that he was healthy. They wanted to run Stetson Bennett out, out of town. And he loses his first game in the SEC championship. And everyone in Athens, Georgia, is on the JT Daniels train trying to get him to start the playoff game against Michigan. The dogs stick with Bennett. He blows out Michigan. He beats Alabama to win the first national title for his dream school in 40 years. And he almost immediately goes from zero to hero in Georgia. It is truly a story like we've never seen before. I mean, he's won 96% of his games as a starter. He went back. He did it again this year. Now he's a two-time national champ, Heisman finalist, arguably the most successful quarterback to ever play for the school. And people have had some things to say about his accomplishments, to say the least. And the, the most common thing that constantly gets lobbed at Stetson Bennett is he was the benefactor of being in the right place at the right time with the emergence of Georgia's dominant defense. And while that might have been true last year, because the Dogs had one of the most dominant units in the history of the sport, giving up less than a touchdown per game, I don't think you could say that this year. I mean, you look at what Stetson Bennett did in the three biggest games of the year this year. The college football playoff semifinal, the SEC championship, and the national championship. He led this offense to averaging 53 points per game in those final three contests. Meanwhile, that defense allowed 28 points per game. That's over four touchdowns a game, while Stetson Bennett posted 14 total touchdowns and over 1,500 yards in those three games to close out the season. Stetson Bennett really embraced that clutch gene towards the end of the year, and that's really what I think is going to get him a couple looks as he moves forward in his career It's something you can't teach. It's something you can't buy. And I think that he deserves a whole lot more credit for these national title runs than he's getting. So that begs the question now, where does this kid end up? What does the future hold for Stetson Bennett? Is there an NFL opportunity in his future? And I think there definitely is at this point in time. I mean, I know his age is going to be a bit of a red flag, for a lot of pro franchises, which is perfectly understandable. But remember what I said earlier about the clutch gene, about it being something that you're not able to buy or teach. I think his performance in these last three games of the season, the way he enabled Georgia's offense to completely take off, has done more than enough to earn him an opportunity in the NFL. I can't wait to see where this kid lands. I am so excited to continue to see his story unfold because like I said, it is truly one of the more intriguing in the history of the sport. I can't wait. That's enough about Georgia now. Let's move on to talking about the national runner-up TCU Horn Frogs and some questions surrounding them. All right, so TCU, they went into this year, they shocked the world, they completely upended the the hierarchy of college football for the most part they came one game short of a national title but where does that leave them 
and what comes next for Sonny Dykes and the Frogs. They were obviously the first ever school to start the season unranked and reach the national championship game, but a lot of people are wondering if they're a one-hit wonder, if this is a sustainable success. What does Monday's loss mean for them going forward? And I got to say, from what I've read about this team and the research I've done for this podcast episode, it does not seem like this TCU team is a one-hit wonder. I don't know if they're going to reach this level of success next year, but they're certainly going to be a force to be reckoned with. I mean, for starters, losing Max Duggan is going to leave a massive hole at the heart of this program, but I think people forget very quickly that Chandler Morris, the freshman, won this job in the beginning of the season for a reason. Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley must have seen something in this kid that warranted him being the starting quarterback for this team. And then obviously he went down with the injury. Duggan has a heck of a year. But Chandler Morris is going to be a very slept-on player heading into next year. He's got three years of eligibility remaining. He's going to be a solid quarterback, and he should provide some much-needed stability to a program that a lot of people expect are going to evolve a great deal over the next couple years. So next I wanted to talk about how they're recruiting and how they're going to replace some of the big losses on this roster. You look at this year's, uh, this year's TCU roster, they had one five-star player, that is Quentin Johnston, and 14 players of four-star caliber. This year in their recruiting class, they're adding 10 more players of four-star or better talent. It's their best recruiting class since 247 began tracking the recruiting rankings by far. They've got four guys in the ESPN 300. They are instantly adding more talent to their roster than ever before. Their recruiting class currently ranks in the top 20, and they've got some dogs coming in that I think are going to really help fill the holes left by losses like Quentin Johnson. I mean, first of all, you've got the six foot two wideout Cordell Russell, who certainly has all the tools to become a physical red zone threat like Johnson. Next, they've got big losses on the defensive line through seniors leaving, but they've got two big D tackles, Avion Carter and Makaris Deal. And these are two big fellas. I mean, 6'4", 260, 6'4", 290, both four-star talents. These guys are going to jump right in on the defensive line and provide a lot of stability. However, one thing that isn't being talked about with TCU is the fact that their biggest loss of this offseason did not come on the field. It came on the sidelines and up in the press box. And that's because Garrett Riley, the news broke yesterday, their offensive coordinator will be leaving to take the same job at Clemson, who just recently fired Brandon Streeter. And this is a home run hire for Clemson and a massive loss for TCU. I mean, this is a guy who, after going 5-7 and seven last year, he comes in, he gets your offense to lead the nation in explosive plays, which are runs of 10 plus yards and passes of 20 plus yards. He had you top five in the nation in scoring offense and top five in the nation in total offense. Garrett Riley is a home run offensive coordinator. And if he continues this string of success at Clemson, he's going to find himself in a head coaching position in no time. So it's going to be very interesting to see what TCU does on the offensive side next year. If they can find a guy to fill that hole left by Garrett Riley. I doubt they can because we're kind of so late in the cycle of the coaching carousel. So that, to me, is their biggest loss of the offseason. 
the architect of your off your offense that was the heartbeat of your team is now gone. Going to be very interesting to see how they cope with that loss and replace him. But moving on now, another reason that this TCU team is not going anywhere is the fact that the Big 12 is going to be very weak over these next couple years. I mean, their top two threats, the biggest programs in the conference, Oklahoma and Texas, are saying goodbye. They're heading to the SEC. So who's going to be left to contend with Sonny Dykes and TCU? I mean, Baylor's a great team. You know, there are some really solid squads in this Big 12, but now is the time. It almost feels like the stars have aligned for TCU to continue their dominance over this conference and continue reaching the college football playoff because now in the 12-team format where conference champions are going to be getting an automatic bid, TCU is staring at an easy route to the college football playoff year in and year out once 2024 hits because Oklahoma and Texas are going to be gone. And like I said, you still have the Baylors and the Kansas States of the world and Texas Tech is another program on the rise as well that can contend with you, but it is going to be much easier for the Big 12 to get a team into the college football playoff than it was before. So TCU is really peaking at a perfect, perfect time to go out and reach the playoff a couple more times and continue to contend for championships. So moving away from the two teams now, there has been a lot of ruckus in the college football airspace. The social media space is about how this 65-7 to result in the national championship is terrible for the sport. We're killing college football with this format, etc., etc. You know, overreaction, Monday morning quarterback, all that good stuff. And while I do think that the 65-7 result kind of sheds a bad light on the sport and the playoff format, and I mean the numbers show it was the lowest watched college football playoff national championship ever, but I think people really need to take a step back and look at the direction the sport is trending in the future. So within a year, we're going to be moving to this 12-team playoff, and I think what that 12-team playoff will create is a lot more even matchups in the national championship game, only because it's going to be so much harder for teams like TCU to replicate their Cinderella performances and win multiple rounds in a row. I mean, if we're in a 12-team format this year, TCU beats Michigan and then they've still still got to win another game or two if they want to reach the national championship, depending on whether or not they won their conference. So winning two and three games in a row is much harder than winning one against these caliber of opponents. So what I think that expanded format is going to do is create much more evenly matched championship matchups. I don't think you're going to see many 65-7 to results in that format. But with that being said, there is also a lot of talk about Alabama, especially after the way they dominated the Sugar Bowl. If they belonged in that top four, if they could have given Georgia the best possible game. And I'm going to kind of agree to disagree on this. I think while Alabama's resume didn't make them a deserving team of making the playoff, I think they're one of the best four teams in the country. And I think they would have given Georgia the best game. But like I said, you cannot put them in the playoff with the resume they had. So did the committee make the right decision? That's up to you. And, you know, it's really all dependent on your values, what you look for in a team. But I think if Alabama plays with Georgia, they're going to give them a heck of a game. They might even beat them. 
a couple times out of 10, but I think going into this game, we all knew that if Georgia and TCU played 10 times, Georgia was going to win nine, nine and a half times. There was no drama in this game. And I think, you know, if an Alabama team plays Georgia, there's genuinely a lot more drama because we know what kind of talent Alabama has. And we know they're really the only team that can equal Georgia in terms of talent. The subjective nature of college football never ceases to amaze me, truly. There is always going to be an opinion that kind of takes precedent over certain facts or stats in this sport because the structure of it is so based on the opinions of individuals. Anyways, that's going to be all for our talk about this season of college football on this episode. Next week, we are going to have our way too early top 25, our way too early Heisman contenders, our way too early award contenders. So if you're looking forward to next year of college football already like I am, be sure to look ahead to next week's episode. We're going to be talking all things the 2023 season. And really quick, now that the season's over, thank you all so much for tuning into this podcast. We started about halfway through the season. I think it was a very successful first season of the show. I hope you all enjoyed. We had a lot of engagement, built up a great audience. I'm excited to continue into next season going forward. And as we transition into college basketball and off-season topics, the show's not going to stop. Always remember we drop new episodes every single Friday. You can find us on Instagram at studentsectioncfb or online at thestudentsection.net where the content never ends. Subscribe to the show, rate the show, share it with your friends. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all your favorite platforms coming soon to YouTube as well. So download the show and watch it on all those platforms. And remember, folks... Whether you're on the couch or in the bleachers this week, enjoy the games, and I'll see you next week. Take care. 